So two weeks from now, everybody say two weeks. Two weeks from now, we're going to do a special offering. It's called Kingdom Builders. Next week, we'll talk about kingdom principles, kingdom financial principles. And in two weeks, I want to challenge you to give a special offering, first fruits offering to kingdom builders. We want to build the kingdom of God. Can I get a good amen? Not our kingdom, not Waters Church kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things everybody else chases after will be added to your life by a good God who loves to bless his children. So not this weekend coming up, but the next weekend, kingdom builders offering that's happening here. And you say, well, why? Well, you saw it on the, on the screen, but I just want to make a couple of announcements about this that are more pertinent to you. Here at North Attleboro, we need parking big time. Big time problem with our parking. We gotta, every time we have a, a big service, we got to park people down at our old building. And we're thankful that our old building is in walking distance, but we don't want to keep doing that. We want to build out the parking here, and we've got plans going to the town for 273 more parking spaces. Amen. We can't grow until we have people able to park here. Okay, so that's a very important thing. We also got this big wall right here on our building that faces 95. And you see an old tarp that we put up there way back over a year ago, waterstarch.org. We want to change that into a nice, bright, shining, illuminated sign that says in big letters, waterschurch.org, or in other words, get on into Waters Church. Hallelujah. Amen. It's not going to say get on into Water Church. It's just going to say waterschurch.org. But we want to just put that out there to get people on 95's attention. We have a beautiful prime location here. We need to make an investment in our signage on our building. Also, we want to get buildings for our Woonsocket and Milford campuses. Milford and Woonsocket, we are praying for and believing for campus buildings for you. Whether they are leased or, or purchases, we don't care. We're not fussy. We want permanent locations. Give you all a break from setting up, tearing down every single week. We want to bring that home to you. So you guys, when you give this uh, in two weeks to Kingdom Builders, you're giving to yourselves as well. And everybody in North Attleboro, welcome on in. Milford and Woonsocket to our service today. We're so glad that you're here. We want to give to you guys as well. So, and then we want to start a third campus. How many believe God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine? We want to continue to plant churches because New England needs Jesus. All right, take out your bulletins, everybody. It looks like this, and in the bulletin is a note page at all of our campuses. Take it out, fill in the blanks. I already filled the blanks in because I get to cheat, all right? But in, uh, in two weeks there, you'll see the mention of Kingdom Builders offering. Be prepared to ask God, and I want to say this um, pastorally, ask God, what amount, Lord, do you want me to give? And I know I always joke about this with married couple, married couples. You both pray alone with God, and the one that God gives the higher amount to has heard from God. I know. I always joke about that, but I really do. I really mean this uh, specifically for this one. Pray and ask God, what is it, Lord, that you want me to do? He might ask you to do more than you think he can. He might ask you to do less. I'm not sure, but he'll ask every single one of you, I believe, to be a part of what we're doing here at Waters Church. And so that's a very important weekend to our, our church's life. Um, also, I, I do want to say a big shout-out, like Chris just said in our MC moment here at North Attleboro, and uh, I'm sure this happened at our other campuses, but the, the response to the tithing challenge, can I, just, can I just brag on our church for a moment? You people listen to me. I'm shocked. 
Thank you so much for listening. I can't believe how many people went straight to give right after the service. I was waiting for you to wait till this week, and many of you said, no, I'm going to go this week, last week, and you went right to the giving kiosk and gave last week to start the 90-day tithing challenge. If you're not doing it, do it. Try it. See what God does. Test him in this. Um, it just tells me that this is the spiritual temperature of our church. You're not interested in just coming to church. I, mean, I just think that's an amazing thing about you. And I really, I want to brag on you for a moment. I'll, I'll rebuke you in a few moments, but let me brag for a moment. You guys really want to hear from God and do what he says. I want to say amen to that. Thank you for being so teachable. Wow. And so we had a, a testimony come in on, on Monday afternoon, an email. This person couldn't wait. This person was looking for a job for seven months. And, and we know this person, they, they, they've been in our church for many years, a wonderful contributor to the kingdom of God, but because no job, no income, no giving. And the, they heard the message last week and without an income, they went right from the service to the kiosk and having no job offers for seven months, put $100 in through the kiosk. That's, that's totally by faith when you don't have an income. After seven months of no job offers. Guess what happened Monday morning? Job offer. Job offer. And it all looks good. And that's the power of putting your trust not in the dollar bill that says in God we trust. That's the power of putting your trust in the God who's mentioned on that dollar bill. I'm, I'm amazed. So anyway, you'll see the message today is called Making the Most of Your Opportunities. I know we're in a series on money but when we talk about money, we have to realize that we're talking about the whole experience of money. You're going to hear a lot of messages and know this series is not just give God 10%. That's a big part of money, but it's not all that we have to do with money. You need to learn how to make money. You need to learn how to save money. You need to learn how to manage money. We have a class, it's called Financial Peace, that goes really deep into the nuts and bolts of how to manage God's finances. It's starting back up in April. Uh, one session is about halfway through now, I think, and they're going to start another session up in April. You can go to Info Central at all of our locations, and you can check that out for yourself. We want you to get into that class so you can learn how to manage God's money. But today we're going to talk about something that I don't think we give enough attention to in our lives, and, and this is what God put on my heart. We need to learn how to make the most of the opportunities that God gives us. And so we're going to go to Exodus chapter 13, and we're going to read one of the most obscure passages in the scriptures. There's a good chance you've maybe done this. Every new year comes and you go uh, to the whole idea of I got I to gotta do some new things that are going to benefit my life. They're called resolutions. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but you make a resolution, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, right? And you go through Genesis, and it's exciting, and you go through Exodus, the first couple of chapters of Exodus, and it's exciting. But if you notice, when you get about halfway through Exodus, come on, the excitement level goes from here to here. How many know what I'm talking about? 
God's suddenly talking about blood and um, menstrual cycles of women and slaves and what to do, you know, with all these kind of things. And you're just like, this is really what the Bible is about. And uh, so we're going to go to one of those places. We're going to go to one of those places where you probably tried to read through the Bible and you got to this point and you're like, okay, I'm checking out. I'm going to the New Testament. Just skip over all the other Bible, all the other books of the Bible, go right to the New Testament. That's not a bad idea. But I want to show you how sometimes in the obscure passages, God can speak the loudest. So stand with me, would you, as we read from Exodus chapter 13, verse uh, 11. Verse 11. And here's what, the, here's what the word of the Lord says. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn man among you of your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that are first to open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand and frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And yes, Waters Church, this is indeed God's word. Can we pray together? Father, I ask that our eyes will be open to hear what, to see what you want us to see in this text. And I pray that our ears will be open to hear what you want us to hear. Father, I ask that the words that come out of my mouth are what you want them to be. And I pray that every person here or watching through a video will have an ear to hear the Holy Spirit speak to them. And as we pray every single time we're together, help us to see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Exodus chapter 13. Some of you are standing and reading that passage or hearing me read that passage saying, where on earth is he going to go with this? Talking about donkeys and breaking necks and firstborn opening the wombs. All right. The obscure passages of the scriptures have something to say to us. And I want you to see that there are principles in this passage that basically speak to us physically, practically, and spiritually. Physically, practically, and spiritually. Israel, the nation of God, promised Abraham's children that they would one day inherit the land. It's called the promised land because God promised them the land. But for 400 years, they were in slavery in Egypt. And God came, and in a mighty show or display of his power through Moses, ten plagues start to break the back of their slave owners, and Pharaoh finally thrust them out of the land, the death of the firstborn. We've seen the movies, we've watched the reenactments, and we know the story. 
And as they are walking, as they are leaving their slave land and heading into their promised land, God has got some things to settle before they even make it into their promised land. I think we have to understand sometimes that God wants to speak to us before God wants to bless us so that we learn how to hear him that when the blessing comes, we don't start ignoring him. How many know it's easy to ignore God when you're blessed? Chances are you came back to church when something was terrible. Chances are you start thinking about God when someone dies or you don't have enough money or you're out of a job. But watch out, friends, when you get the blessing. This is why I love this passage of Scripture because God is saying, no, before I bless you, I want you to hear me say something so that you are empowered to handle the blessing I give you. And so he talks to them about the Passover, and, and that's an important thing. Like the Passover is actually coming up in Israel's calendar year. We also celebrate the Passover with a day called Easter. And so we talk about the death of Jesus and then the resurrection of Jesus all about the same time in the calendar year. And so he talks about the Passover and, and he talks about the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and, and all those things that he wants them to ritually practice. But then he gives them another ritual. And you'll notice this about the scriptures. God is big on routine and habits. He likes habits. He likes routines. Routines remind us. Somebody say remind. Routines remind us of what's important. Routines help us to root ourselves in what's true. And sometimes we have to remember that though we might give routine and ritual a bad name, sometimes it's the rituals that give us rooting in what is important and keep us focused on what we should be focused on instead of distracted according to all the other things that the world would try to distract us with. And so God wants to have a routine settled for them. Here it is, the redemption of the firstborn. The redemption of the firstborn. And so it says in verse 11, when the Lord brings you into the land, like, I promise this to you. I'm going to give it to you. Last week we settled this. I hope we settled this for you, that your Father in heaven wants to bless your life. If you don't believe that, you'll never give God the first. You'll never trust him with your finances. God is not out to take. God is out to give and entrust people with his possessions you got to believe this. So he says, listen, I want to give this land to you. And then he says, you shall set apart to the Lord, verse 12, all the firstborn of your animals and of your sons, all the males. And then he says this curious little phrase. Check this out. Every firstborn of a donkey. Huh? Yeah, we're talking donkeys up in here. Come on, somebody. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb. And if you do not redeem it, you shall break its neck. And we'll get to that in just a moment because that's crazy right there. <laughs> and he says, every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. Okay, what is God talking about? Why does he suddenly throw the whole donkey redemption in? <laughs> like, we're, Lord, we're about to, you know, I just see Israel being like, we're about to fight some nations that are stronger than us. We're about to go into a land that is foreign to us. And by the way, we just got delivered from slavery. And now you want to talk about our donkeys? Yes. Because here's what God knows about the donkeys that we don't know, all right? Here's what he knows about them. And I want you to write this in your notes so you get the practical and material lesson of this, mess, of this passage. A donkey was a symbol of opportunity. It was a symbol of an opportunity. 
If you had a donkey in the ancient world, you had opportunity, an opportunity to do what? To make money, to plow your field, to carry your goods from one location to another. If you needed to sell your goods in the city, you would carry them into the city. How would you carry them? Well, you'd carry them on a donkey. A donkey represented fiscal opportunity. Now, now here's what you need to see how good God is to his people Israel. You see, in the ancient world, and we know this, if you study anthropology, we know this. In the ancient world, uh, nations who did not have the word of God, they would sacrifice whatever animal they thought God wanted, their gods wanted. So they'd sacrifice donkeys, or they'd sacrifice oxen, or they'd sacrifice birds or pigs. The Egyptians sacrificed anything they could get their hands on. Uh, some nations actually went so far as to think the only way to truly please the gods would be to sacrifice children. So they literally sacrificed their sons and daughters to their false gods. And they did this. Why? Because they were ignorant. They did not have direction and they did not have a God looking out for them. And so God raises up a nation called Israel and he says, I want you no longer to be ignorant and I want it to go well with you and I don't want you killing your opportunities. I don't want you to sacrifice things to me that you might, you might be tempted to give up or sacrifice and in the long run it will hurt you. And I want you to see this passage through the eyes of an ancient reader, that what the ancient reader is learning is that this God of Israel is a God that speaks and a God that cares and a God that understands what we need to get ahead in our lives. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. And you've got to know this. The word of God is for your good and for your success. I got a passage for you to prove it, Joshua chapter 1-8. After they, after they start to take the land, God says, now remember the book of the law. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate, it on, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written according to it. And then he says, for then, once you meditate and you do what God's word says to do, then you will make your way prosperous. I think sometimes we ask God to prosper us, and God says, didn't you read my instruction manual on how to prosper? Like we're waiting for the blessing, and God says, I put it down in writing so that you would learn how to be blessed. So learn to do it, and then you, think about this, this is so cool about God. He puts the power in your hands. You will make your way prosperous. You won't have to rely on a boss to prosper you. You won't have to rely on the right conditions to prosper you. You won't have to rely on the right economic climate to prosper you. No, you put your faith in the word of God and you will trust that the God you serve is able to circumvent the circumstances that may work against you because God's power is for you. And as you do what he says to do, he will bless you. And according to this passage, you will have good success. So I want you to think about this. A donkey equals opportunity. So the lesson today is how to make the most of your opportunity, how to make the most of your donkeys. Amen, somebody. How do I make the most of the donkeys? All right, so I got three points and then we're done. Number one, thou shalt not kill thine opportunities. And bear with me with the old King James for the points, I got a reason. Thou shalt not kill thine, thine opportunities. Ancient customs required the killing of any kind of animal. God says, don't kill the animals that help you make money. Don't kill the animals that help you prosper. I want it to go well with you. I'm a loving heavenly father. 
Sometimes I think God, sometimes I think some of us have been listening to the enemy teach us about our father rather than listen to God teach us about himself. The enemy wants to convince you that your father is is stingy. The enemy wants to convince you that if you do things on your father's terms, he will, he will end you up broke and dissatisfied. Nothing could be further from the truth. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. The father in heaven is good and loves you. Don't kill your opportunities though. So I got two points under this point. This is a fancy way of me getting six points into the message. Letter A, respect the opportunities you have. I'm talking to people today and at all of our campuses, you've got opportunities. You need to open your eyes and ask God to help you see them. You have opportunities every single day. Every time the, 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 the sun rises, you are reminded that the true sun has risen. That Jesus is alive. You belong to God. He cares about you so much he was willing to lay down his son's life for you. And every time the sun rises, I want it to be a reminder to you that the son of God is for you, not against you. And he has given you a new day. My Bible tells me that every day his mercies are new. I wake up to new opportunities. Your job, I know this might be hard for some of you to hear, but your job is an opportunity. Respect it. Some of us hate our jobs. You gotta stop hating it and you gotta start seeing it as a gift from God. I know this is hard. I know because I've been there. Before I was a preacher, I worked for a bank. Before that, I worked as a waiter. Before that, I worked as a busboy. Before that, I worked at a lumberyard. I mean, I've worked in other fields, in other areas of industry. And I, I remember when I first came out of college, the first job, the only job that I could get was to be a bank teller. And so I went and I became a bank teller, but I really wanted to work on the desks. How many know the desks are better than the teller situation? You want to be in a desk. I would watch the people at the desks. They had their own little coffee mugs, little decorative coffee mugs. They had their own little pencil holders. They had a little desk set. They looked so distinguished. I'm sitting there in prison behind the little cubicle of the teller window. And then if they really hated you, they'd put you on the drive-through teller window. That was hell. I can't describe to you, I would be there until like 7.30 at night just cashing people's checks on Thursday. This is why they stuck ATMs there. They couldn't find any more losers to do it, so they put ATMs at the drive-up windows. You can thank me. I, was, I complained so loud, they were like, let's just put ATMs there. And I remember I so badly wanted to be on the desk, I really just didn't want to be a teller anymore. And I remember that I would complain. I'd be like, hey, I want to be on a desk, I want to be on a desk. And then my boss did something wonderful for me. They sat me down and he said to me, he said, listen, you keep talking about where you want to go, but you're not maximizing where you are. You want to be on the desk, you know what we do on the desk? I said, no. So we sell things, we sell accounts, we sell investments, we sell CDs, we sell these things. Are you ready to do that? I said, yeah. He said, prove it to me at the teller window. I had to learn in that opportunity to start selling. Can I tell you, I became the most annoying teller in Massachusetts. 
Oh, I see, your I see you have a two-year-old. Do you want a checking account for your two-year-old? Oh, I see that you just bought a house. Do you want to buy your vacation house now? It's never too late to start thinking about that. Oh, I see that you've maxed out one credit card. Have you heard about three other credit cards we have for you? I was totally like all in on trying to get to that desk. But listen to me, I learned a valuable lesson. Life is filled with opportunities. We just need eyes to see them. Some of you hate your job because you've never seen the opportunities your job could give you. And by the way, if, your opportunity, if you try and you pray and you ask God and you say, no, there's still no opportunity, Pastor. I don't see it. Okay, this isn't the USSR. This isn't Venezuela. Okay, this isn't Cuba. This is America. No one is holding a gun to your head. There's a thing called LinkedIn. There's a thing called Monster.com. There's a thing called Resume Production. You get yourself going, get yourself out there, and find yourself a new opportunity to the glory of Jesus. You see what I'm saying? You can do something with where you are right now. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says this, whatever your hand finds to do, whatever it is, do it with all your might. What is he saying? Maximize the job you have. Don't obsess about the job you want. And let me say something to the dreaming people. You gotta dream. And if there's one thing that Disney will tell you, it is your dreams can come true. But if there's something that your parents will tell you, it is, it is, don't always count on that. Sometimes we buy into the dream and we wait for the dream to materialize, not realizing that the way, the path to dream is loaded with a bunch of steps through menial opportunities. Menial opportunities. I think of Joseph, he was faithful. Where was he faithful? He was faithful in his father's house, second in command in his father's house, reporting on his brother's mischief. He, they hated him for that. So then they cast him into a pit. They sell him into slavery. You would think Joseph would say, oh, I'm a slave. I guess I got no opportunities. No, he maximized his opportunity and did the best he could as a slave. And God blessed him and he became second in command in Potiphar's house. What did that get him? It got him a false rape uh, a rap sheet on rape accusation. No one heard his side of the story. They just believed Potiphar's wife and he was cast into a prison. And you would think, well, look at what I did. I did all the right things and I went from slavery to prisonhood and now this is what I get for doing things God's way. I wonder how many here have said that to themselves last, this past week. This is what I get for doing things God's way. Don't tell yourself that. God's not done yet. Amen, somebody. He works hard in the prison. What does he do? He becomes second in command. The warden doesn't care about a single thing because he knows he's got Joseph there doing the best he can. Whatever he found his hand to do, he did with all his might. And then in a day, in one day, he goes from the prison to the palace and the dream comes true. But the dream might be on the other side of a bunch of menial opportunities that God is testing you with to say, can I trust you with a little before I place you in charge of much? This is good preaching right here. Can I say number letter B in your, in your notes? Take good care of the opportunities you have. Take good care of it. What do you mean, Pastor? Um, can I get real practical for you? Get a good night's sleep before you go to work. Don't stay up late at night and watch Jimmy Fallon. Like, go to bed. Get ready. The Bible, my scripture, my Bible tells me that my father gives sleep to his beloved. He likes to give people sleep. 
How, how many of you tell yourself this? You say, man, I wish I appreciated nap time when I was a kid. But I'll tell you, if you just get a good solid eight hours, you'll be so refreshed for the next day. How about this? Avoid distractions. Life hands you all kinds of distractions. We are in the distraction capital of history. Amen. And, and, and I was actually reading a blog about this this week, about our smartphones are designed to be addictive. You're like, no, duh. <laughs> I'm totally hooked. The dings, the dings, right? The little things that pop down as we're doing something else and we say, oh, somebody liked my Facebook post. Oh, who's that? Click. Oh, I got a new snap. Oh, snap, I'm gonna be distracted very quickly. Oh, snap, I'm out of a job. Why? Watch out your addictions to this stuff. Watch out your addictions to video games and controlling habits and, and things that are good, but they are not great. They're good, but they're not beneficial. L learn that you have only one chance at this. And you got a chance right where you are to leverage what you have to see God open up doors to where he wants you to go. We've learned something in this church. We don't put people in charge of things in this church if we don't, if we don't see that their, their, their uh, professional life is in order. If their professional life is in order, in order, they can't be trusted with God's people. God's people are far more important than sprickets or sprockets or whatever your business is selling. God's people are the most precious possession in heaven. Amen, somebody. If you're trustworthy with sprickets or sprockets, amen. I know I'm talking to people like you're the Jetsons. I get it, but you're not the Jetsons. You're people. Whatever you do for, for your business, if you're trustworthy there, we take note. We say, okay, there's a leader. There's somebody we can say, hey, take charge of this small group. Take charge of this opportunity because God will honor that. I love this passage in Proverbs. It's there on your notes. Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. Develop your skills. Some of you are in a job that you don't like, but you deal with all kinds of people that you cannot stand. What's God doing? He's training you on how to love difficult people to love. Why would God ever do that? Because God deals with people every single day, and he knows that they're hard to love sometimes. Oh my goodness, he's making you just like himself. That was really good preaching right there. Some, some of you are, are trying to manage a, a financial sheet of a business that's really struggling right now. Why is God doing that? To teach you about how to be resourceful. My scriptures tell me that there's a time to scatter stones and there's also a time to gather stones. Sometimes you got so many stones you can throw them everywhere. Sometimes you got only a few stones. You have to learn how to gather them and say, okay, we got to be a little bit more resourceful. What is happening? God has put you in the school of life. Respect the opportunity and let God develop skills in you and you'll stand before kings. Amen, somebody. Can I have a little fun with you Saturday night and, and Sunday morning at Waters and North in uh, Milford and Windsor? Can I have a little fun with you? You promise not to send me an email? So, the um, old King James Version of Exodus 13, 13, talking about donkeys, old King James Version. <laughs> Can I just, I, don't send me an email, you promise? 
It says this. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. So I study the word diligently all week for you, and, I, and this passage... <laughs> This passage led me to a Bible dictionary on, with, the, with, the, with the article titled donkeys. But they didn't use the word donkeys. They used the old King James word for it. And I, I want to get to a point. It's not just fun. It's a point. And I, I'm, I'm literally going to read to you word for word the, the good, trustworthy Bible dictionary of the article for you so that you can get some perspective on respecting and taking care of your opportunities. Okay, here, here's what it says. Donkey slash ass colon. Beast of burden. The ass of the Holy Land was quite different from the European ass of today, which is usually a small, stubborn, and malicious ass. Of course it is, it's European. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just had to go... <laughs> In biblical times, the ass was a beautiful, stately, and friendly animal. The ass was held in high regard by the Jews and was considered an economic asset. An individual had to have an ass for minimum existence. And wealth was frequently counted by the number of asses one possessed. The ass was considered an acceptable gift. It was allowed to rest on the Sabbath. If a married couple possessed only one ass, the husband walked alongside the wife who rode the ass. I'm just reading straight from the dictionary. Don't send me an email. You only got one ass. Respect your ass and take care of your ass and God will bless your ass. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. I'm sorry. I had to do it. I'm sorry. Don't send me an email. Send it to Shane. Amen. <laughs> All right, thou shalt not kill your opportunities. Number two, thou shalt consider thine opportunities a gift from God. It's hard to believe this, but your job is a gift from God. It I know it's hard, but what would you do without that job? How'd you pay your bills? How would you provide for your family? It's a gift. So, so God has this crazy little rule here about donkeys. It's crazy. Look at this. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you don't redeem it, you shall break its neck. What's God saying? All right, let me get there. I was thinking about the fact that when a donkey is born, you don't get to choose the kind of donkey you got. Right? I mean, your donkey could be lame. It could be a little bit smaller than your neighbor's donkey. You know, it could be, I, I don't know, maybe it could be one of those extra grace-required kind of donkeys. I don't know. And my point to you is that you don't always get to choose the opportunities that you get in life. You get to choose the opportunities you take. But you can't choose the opportunities that you want to come your way. Now, you can make opportunities happen by taking advantage of the opportunities you have, but there's always going to be somebody with a better opportunity than you. Can, I, can, I, can you hear me here? There's always going to be somebody who will look more blessed than you, um, have more ad, uh, advantages than you, and seem to get farther, further, uh, faster than you. And let me just say this as lovingly as I can. You've got to get over that. Don't obsess about that. 
Don't be caring, caring, caring so much about your neighbor's donkey that you don't think, okay, wait a second, this is the one that God gave me. Stay with what God's given you and take advantage of. It's a gift from God. And, and if you think about it and you ask God to open your eyes, you'll see how he probably gave you just the right donkey. He gave you just the right opportunities. You can't live obsessed, friends, with everybody else's life. You gotta focus on what God has put into your life. I got two letters under this point. So letter A, God has given me my abilities. In many respects, our opportunities are founded on our abilities, amen? We have certain abilities that other people don't have, and we don't have certain abilities that other people do have. Some of you dream of being the next American Idol, but you can't sing. In Jesus' name, please give up. <laughs> Some of you want to run a business, but you might be a second man, like Joseph was. Some of you might want to teach in, in um, private schools, but only public school doors open for you. And, and at some point, you got to stop kicking against what you do, what you have, because you disregard it because of what somebody else has, and you got to start loving what you have. God has programmed each one of us with certain abilities. And my abilities are not your abilities, and your abilities are not my abilities. And, and here's what I love about, about the, the glorious nature of God's creativity. He knows exactly what abilities to put in you for where you're going. Love your abilities. Understand your abilities come from God. Look at this passage here on your notes in Deuteronomy 8.18. You shall remember. Don't forget. It is the Lord your God who gives you the power or ability to gain wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers. In other words, whatever ability you got is power to make money and you gotta remember that that power to make money came from God. Therefore, don't despise it. And then also, honor God with it. And that's where the tithe comes in. So if you weren't here last week, we started this last week, the 90-day tithing challenge. And I asked you last week to start putting God first financially on the gross, not the net, on the gross before the government, God comes first and tithe for 90 days. And if it doesn't work and if you're not more blessed and you don't see God's faithfulness, call us up and we'll give you the money back. That was the 90-day tithing challenge last week. And the reason why we do that is because we want you to learn to honor God with your possessions. Our church is financially sound. And I told you last week, if you want to reject everything I've said, fine, that's up to you. It's for your good, not ours. But here's what I want you to see again in that passage in Malachi 3.10. It says, bring the full tithe. Notice the word bring, not give. We don't give God anything. We don't give God anything. Why? Because he already owns it. We don't ever give God the tithe. It's, it's like my children when they ask me for money and I give them money and they go and buy me Christmas presents and they come back and they say, Dad, see what I bought you. I want to say, thanks, I should have kept the money. No, you know, <laughs> the thought that counts. They don't give me anything. You don't give God anything. What you do is you bring an act of faith, and when you bring it, you are telling God, and you're also telling your heart, I believe this is yours. 
What if you saw your job as belonging to God and not to you? That would change a little bit how you did it, how you treated your employees or your employers, how you treated your coworkers. You're not all, you're not all up in the, the gossip around the water cooler. Why? This is God's job. This is God's, this is God's business. So God, help me to manage it. Let her be if you're taking notes, okay? I am a manager of God's good things, not an owner. You don't own anything. A rich man once died. And they came to the funeral, and two men were talking about this man and how much he, how much he owned and how much he was worth, and they said, how much did he leave behind? And he said, all of it. You die, and it's gone. You don't take it with you. You never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Amen, somebody. It stays behind. You are a temporary manager of God's possessions. You've got to internalize this. When you learn to manage and not own, you are freer, you are less stressed, you are happier because you know ultimately all you need to do is do right by the owner and the owner will bless you. Jesus shared the story of the talents, the parable of the talents, and, and the two guys who went out and worked because they knew it was the master's money, and they put it to work. They came back, and here's what the master says, Matthew 25, verse 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little of my stuff. I will set you over much of my stuff. Enter into the joy of your master. There is nothing on this earth that you have that is truly yours. It all belongs to God. So let's get back to Exodus 13 and 13, and we'll just check this passage out one more time. It says, if you will not redeem the donkey, you shall break its neck. Is God anti-animal? No. He's trying to teach his people. If you don't treat it like it's mine, you'll lose it anyway. If you don't treat it like it's mine, you'll lose it anyway. No, no Jew in history ever broke their donkey's neck. They redeemed him, trust me. But God was spiritually speaking into his people to say, I need you to understand all that you have is because of me. Live like you know you're a manager. And then the stress, and then the worry, and then all the fears of what may happen or what could happen and, and how many people, they get so worried about who might get elected and who might not get elected. And so my economic life is going to be shattered if this person gets in. And, and, and God is up in heaven saying, do you not yet realize I own the whole stinking planet? It's mine. And if it's mine and you're mine, I'll work it out. Number three, thou shalt remember God paid the ultimate price for the opportunity to save you. So I said to you we would talk practically, materially, and spiritually. Okay, time for spiritual. Time for spiritual. He says in verse 14, check this out. And when in time your son comes to ask you, what are you doing, dad? Because I just see a Jewish little boy coming up to his dad as dad is killing a lamb for his newborn donkey or taking the first lamb of another, uh, of another lamb and sacrificing that lamb to God. And I see the children. This is what I see. This all goes out of my head. The children come up to dad and say, dad, what is this all about? Opportunity to teach. Opportunity to speak into your children's lives. 
and he says this. Here's what you're going to say. You're going to say, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when, verse 15, for when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of the land of Egypt, and both firstborn of man and animals, and then therefore, verse 15, I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And right there, God says, not only is this going to help you understand that everything is mine, not only is this going to help you understand to respect your opportunities and care for your opportunities and develop your abilities and, 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 and see God start to open up new opportunities because you've been faithful with the small opportunities he gives you, but now you're going to have an opportunity. Listen to this, every parent in the house or future parent. Now you're going to have an opportunity to speak into your children's lives. And they will pay attention. And I think what God is saying to some of us today is that the reason why you can't get your children to listen to anything is because they watch you not listen to God about anything. And they need to see that you're under authority if you're going to expect them to live under your authority. Where will your children learn that God owns it all? They'll learn by watching you. They'll learn by watching you. My earliest memories growing up was in the house of a truck driver who never made a lot of money, but provided so well for my childhood and all my siblings' upbringing. And he was the treasurer of our church, and he was also the check writer of our home. And my earliest memories were when he would come home at 8 p.m. at night after 16 hours of driving truck, and he would open the church's ledger, and he would write checks for the church, and then he would push that aside, and he would open up his personal checkbook, and he would write checks for his personal life. And the first check that he wrote was to the church. I can't tell you the impact that that had on my life. To see my father, listen to me men, because sometimes it's the men who don't get these messages. The impact of seeing a man who was submitted to the authority of God. I knew it was real because it touched his wallet. And it changed my heart. I have no doubt telling you, I have no problem telling you that I think I'm on this stage because my father honored God that way. And I don't want your children all to be up on this stage. They're gonna do their thing and they're gonna find their place and, I, and, and they may be on this stage, but what I'm trying to tell you is I can't think of a better gift that you get for putting God first than to see your children love Jesus and thrive in their calling. One last thing and then we're done. In Leviticus chapter 15, the people of Israel are going to learn that the donkey was an unclean animal. And the sheep was a clean animal. A lamb was a clean animal. And so here's the last thing I got to say. When they took a donkey, which was unclean, and they sacrificed a lamb, which was clean, here's what they were learning. The clean is to die for the unclean. I got a question for you. Between you and Jesus... Which one of you is clean? Jesus. Who was unclean? You, me, we were unclean. And 2,000 years ago, the true heavenly father took the clean and sacrificed him for the unclean. You see how this little obscure passage in the middle of Exodus speaks 
so strongly to us today that God so loved you, he took the clean to take your uncleanness and make you clean. Amen.